is found in Matthew chapter 7. Let's turn there in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring a Bible to you that you can use throughout this service this morning. I don't see any hands raised. It means everybody has access to a Bible. That's good. Let's stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Reading from Matthew chapter 7. This is what God's word says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out from, of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and, the, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the, great, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by, by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. 
And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. May God give us understanding in his word. We preach through it this morning. If you would remain standing and bow with me now for a moment of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word. Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you for waking us up this morning, bringing us to this place where we can worship you, where we can meet together, where we can fellowship under your word and by obedience to you. We thank you for each person that's gathered here today. You woke us up, you brought us here, gave us intention to come here. We thank you for those who gave rides to individuals today to, to help them to enjoy uh, this fellowship as well. We thank you for the strength um, and the physical ability you've given us to be here, and then for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us, those who believe in you, to come and meet together in the fellowship and to hear your word and to follow your instruction. Open our eyes to your truth, Lord, and, and uh, challenge and motivate us to follow and obey you. We pray for those, Lord, who are not with us, Lord. We, um, we just pray that you would watch over those who are sick, um, who just uh, physically have needs, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to those needs, Lord. We pray that you would watch over and be with each of your people. We have um, some who are coming from surgery, Lord. We pray for, for, for Joyce and for her recovery, that you would be with her, you watch over, you bless her, be with her husband, Cliff, Lord, as he ministers to her. We pray, Lord, that you just um, allow her to get well and to be able to meet with us again. Um, and Lord, we just pray um, for, for each one, for, for others, Lord. We think of Sister Brenda, and um, we just pray, Lord, for her care. We think of Sister Mickey this week and the procedure that she'll be going through, Lord. We pray that you watch over her. We pray for each one of these ladies, Lord, for your healing, for your hand of comfort on them as they go through different trials or challenges that they face, Lord, that you would watch over and be with them. Um, so, Lord, we pray for Dale as well, Lord, and who has some issues with his back, and but he's here today. We thank you for that. We pray that you would just... Um, Again, minister to his every need. We think of Charles, Lord, who's, who's going to have a procedure this week that you would watch over and be with him, Lord. Um, there's so many that we're naming, Lord, because we have so many needs. And we know, Lord, that you know everyone. You care for everyone. There's not a one that's forgotten by you or left behind or neglected. You care for each one. And so we thank you for your care that only you can do. We thank you, Lord, because you love and you have a power to heal. And Lord, you are sovereign, and so there may be some things that you won't heal, but you give the strength and the comfort to go along with that, and we praise you for that, Lord. So we pray that you keep strong 
those who trust in you, that, that we might rely on your grace, rely on your power, and your working in us, Lord, to, to do what you've called us to do. So now, Lord, bless us as the word is preached. May our hearts be open to receive your truth. May you move in our hearts and allow us to be light and salt and minister your word before others for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our series tells us what Jesus is teaching. We started the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, continued in, verse, in chapter 6, and now in chapter 7. Jesus went into a mountain, up into the mountain, and he began to speak to the crowd. I want to note the end of this chapter because it is a point that's very significant, a point to be made. After Jesus finished speaking, it says in verse 28, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished? It says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I want you to notice as we walk through this chapter, the authority that Jesus speaks to or speaks from. He is not just someone saying what he thinks the scripture says. He is speaking, thus saith the Lord. And so we should expect of him. He's called the very word of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. In other words, he is the pure communication of the truth of God. And so when someone rejects Jesus Christ, they are rejecting the word of God, the truth that comes from God. There's no higher way to reject. It's like saying, I won't listen to what God has to say, either because I know more myself or that God has nothing to say to me. Both of those are ultimately, or, or, or extreme lies. Jesus speaks with the authority from God, and so we are compelled and commanded to listen to him. So many people write books today, and they sound like they want to just offer you another opinion. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's telling you what God has to say. Listen to what he says. In the first part, he's talking about not being a hypocrite. I like the fact that Jesus uses, even in his chapter, words like hypocrites and fools when he talks about people. So he's not pulling any punches. We have this idea that's been been, been just been demonstrated to us that Jesus is just some love talker, and all he does is talks in flowery words that impress and, and, and make people feel good. That's not what he does. In the chapter, chapters prior to this, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, he talks about the fire of hell. Here he talks about people who are hypocrites. 
A lot of people say, I won't come to church because there's too many hypocrites there. Unfortunately, that happens to be true. But it's not an excuse not to hear what God has to say. And you hear what Jesus says. He says, stop being a hypocrite. Don't live like a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is one who says yes to a standard with his mouth and no with his actions. He's conflicted. He says yes to what is right, but he doesn't do what is right himself. He says right, he says yes to the right thing that's true, but he doesn't follow it in his whole own life. The Bible tells us in James, which is the brother of Jesus, he says, don't, don't many of you want to be teachers. Don't desire to be teachers because you will be judged on a high standard. If you know what is true and then don't do it, God will judge you for that. He will hold you accountable for that. So Jesus starts off by saying, don't judge others and then fail to model what you have judged yourself. So many people have just called this short and say, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. In other words, don't call anything wrong. Look, we all must judge and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. What he's saying is not, he's not saying don't distinguish between right and wrong. That would be foolish for him to say that. He himself distinguishes. He calls everyone to speak and agree with God. What he's saying is don't distinguish for others and have a separate distinction for yourself. Don't say what's wrong for others and you do the exact same thing. He's exposing hypocrisy. He says, he uses humor here, how is it you can see the speck in your brother's eye? How can you see that little piece of dust in your brother's eye, and there's a huge tree stump in yours. He says, first clear out the big, humongous tree stump out of your eye, then you can see better. Then maybe you can help your brother out. In chapter 7, verse 7, he says, this section he's speaking of relying on God. We saw that in chapter 6 too, didn't we? Relying on God. How? By asking and seeking and knocking. He says, ask. James, again, the brother of, of, of Jesus said, you don't have because you don't ask. Why is it we won't ask? One is we don't have faith that God would actually do it. The second is that we ask with wrong motivation. And the third is that we simply don't want to submit ourselves to God. It's like <laughs> in my household, I don't know how you did it in your household, we expected our children to ask for certain things instead of just going getting it themselves. Of course, when they get older, they know the guidelines and they can understand that. But the point was they needed to recognize where things came from and they needed permission to do that. Now, people do that today, and they think you got a, you got an authority problem. No, it's not that. God does that. He says, look, recognize that 
you need me and you must ask for what you need and I'll give it to you. God actually says some things you don't get simply because you didn't ask. I was waiting to give it to you, but you wouldn't ask. You wouldn't show that submission to me and a reliance on me that I'm the one you come to to get what you need. He says, ask. We need to ask. He, he modeled that in the chapter before by teaching us how to pray. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. In that same chapter, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites who, who pray at the, at the street corner and they, they use all these flowery words to impress other people. And he said this, God already knows what you need. But then we think, well, wait a minute. If God knows what I need and I shouldn't pray in such a way, then why do I have to ask anyway if God already knows? Yes, he knows what you need. He wants you to humbly submit yourself to him. Lord, I need this. I know you know I need it. I'm asking you because I know it comes from you. All good things come from you. I am willing to ask you for it. So he says, ask. Then he shows the process. Not just ask, but seek. Seek after and then to knock. And what he's saying is, you don't just ask and sit and wait around. No. You put into action. You seek what the Lord, what it is that you need from the Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a part that, that we often forget. <laughs> We often forget the seek part. If you're asking for a job, are you seeking it? Are you looking for it desperately? If you're asking for a spouse, are you looking for one? Or you think you're just going to sit there and God's just going to plop one down right there in front of you on your lap? <laughs> no, seek and seek his way and seek in, in, in the, by the means that he would ask you to do that, to seek. He says, knock. Look for the opportunities that, that God opens up. And then he's, he ends this section with this, this scenario between a father and a son. He says, which of you, verse 9, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He said, what father, when the son asks for a sandwich, will put rocks in the bread? Oh, if a son asks for something to eat, going to give him a live poisonous snake. Here, son, it's all, all the meat you can handle. You don't do that. Not if you have sense. He said, then if you, being evil, that's what he says. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he's, he's pointing out that when he says ask, he's talking about asking God. Asking God. Go to God and ask him. Pray. Have you actually prayed for it? That thing that you desire so much? One of the reasons why we don't pray is because we don't think it's worthy of a prayer. <laughs> no, God ain't going to give me that. In other words, you don't need it then, do you? 
God gives to his children the good things that they need. Have you tested God in that? He goes beyond that. If you're a witness for God, you realize he's given you beyond just the bare necessities of life that you need. He's a gracious father. He knows how to give good gifts. He's willing to give, and he wants us to ask. In the next section, talks about what we call the golden rule. Is how we are to treat others. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let me deal with that last statement first. This is the law and the prophets. Um, earlier in the chapter, he said he didn't, he's not, he didn't come to abandon the law or abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he was, what he's saying is this is what the, new t the Old Testament is saying. This is how God expects you to treat one another. It is a golden rule. Oh, I wish we could practice and learn that today. I wish I could drive down 35th Street, especially as I get close to Capitol, and have people treat me the way they will want to be treated themselves. We need to remind ourselves how we ought to extend kindness to others when we ourselves would like that same type of kindness be extended to us. He said, and that's a summary. When Jesus was asked a question once, he says, um, sounds like such a hard and difficult question. Would you take all 39 books of the Old Testament, would you summarize them for us? He says, I'll be glad to. I'll be glad to. I'll give you two simple principles that come from them. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all that you have, with all your strength. And the second one, you should love your neighbor as yourself. He just summarized it just like that. And the fact is, we don't. And because we don't, we are condemned by God. Just like Cain, when God says, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yeah, after you killed him and, and buried him in the sand. After I talk to you about why you're so angry and why you're upset and why I rejected your gift or your offering, you went and killed your brother. Jesus summarized that Old Testament and showed that it pointed that this sin nature that we have is screaming out to us that we need a Savior. We need a Redeemer to come. The law could not take that away from us or present us right before God. It showed our overwhelming need for a Savior. How difficult it is. In the next verse, he says, narrow is the gate. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. My parents would teach me this. He said, don't follow the crowd. The crowd is going the wrong way. Don't follow the crowd. It says, many 
are trying to enter by the wide gate, the easy way. But he says it's the narrow gate, which is the more difficult way that leads to life. What is he saying? They're very simple. Following Christ is not just difficult, it's impossible. Until he transforms you and gives you his spirit, it's impossible to live the way that he wants you to live. Remember in the, in the previous chapter, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into heaven. A lot of people must say, whoa, how are we going to do that? In other words, it's impossible. You can't get into heaven by your own righteousness. God has to do something. He has to transform you. He says that way into heaven is very narrow, it's difficult, and there are few that are on its path. We are a nation that loves statistics and numbers, but the statistic that, that people just don't understand is most people are going to hell. They are on the wrong path. So if you're following the crowd, you are on your way on a wrong path to hell. He says, narrow is the gate that leads to life. And it's only a few that find that. Then he cautions them about who to listen to. In the next verses, Beware of false prophets. Again, I'm, I'm always impressed with how Jesus tells it like it is. In the previous chapter, he said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And it's in chapter 5. He says, be, be plain and simple in your speech and how you relate to others. Jesus is just that. He models that. He warns them about, about false prophets. Why I give a warning about false prophets is so that they would understand what the real, true prophet would look like. So he says, beware of false prophets. He describes them this way. They come to you looking like plain old sheep. Looking like innocent, wouldn't hurt a fly kind of sheep. But he says, inwardly they would tear you apart, given the chance. So if they're dressed like sheep, how are you going to recognize them? He says, you'll know them by what comes from them. Fruit. What comes from them? You'll know them by their fruit fruit. One of the simple fruit <laughs> to examine is words. Oh, I'm not talking about flowery words that are prepared in a speech that sound good. I mean, how you talk at home? I mean, I remember it wasn't too long ago, a famous gospel musician got caught in a tape that was recorded by his son, recording all kinds of obscenities. After hearing that, it's hard to listen to his music. Now you go, wait a minute. Music has a lot of sense and a lot of, lot of meaning, a lot of significance. Uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff there. It doesn't make what he said wrong. It just makes him a hypocrite. 
He doesn't follow it. Jesus said, this is how you're going to tell who's right. Look at what comes out of them. What is their fruit? And he said, beware of that. He's just going to tell it like it is. Open your eyes and look at what, what they produce and what comes out. He says, you can't get healthy fruit from a diseased tree. It's something, you know, when fruit sours and, and goes bad, you can't always see it until you break it open sometimes. And you cut it open and then you see. It's like, oh, man, I'm going to bite that. That's not good. That's not good. He says, examine. Examine the fruit. Look at it. And you'll tell whether this person was true or not. Then he says a powerful statement to those who are described this way. He says in verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He says, don't be fooled by it. It's going to come out based on what that tree is. And then he says this, Here's a powerful statement, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Not just cut down, but cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying in a strong way, they're going to be destroyed. They're absolutely are going to face God's judgment. God doesn't take very kindly to the mistreatment of his people. So he says to them, they'll be cut down and then burned in the fire. Can you get a stronger example of hell and his judgment than that? And he says, watch, beware, look. So you don't follow the wrong thing. It's interesting what he said about the Pharisees. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. In other words, recognize that some of the stuff they say is going to be true. But it's their life behind it that's not. And so now you have to do some discernment. What is, what is it that they said that was true and how do I separate that? It's like taking an old spoiled banana and trying to cut the good part out of it. <laughs> Pretty hard to do, isn't it? That warning goes before this statement here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I want you to notice, first of all, the position that Jesus puts himself as he says this statement. He is talking to a crowd of people, and he says to them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. There's coming a time when people are going to honor him in their speech and call him Lord. 
in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making it clear. He is the way, the pathway into heaven. There's no question or doubt about that. He tells his whole crowd, his folks are going to come up to me trying to get in there. What would you think about anybody speaking today who said, hey, some folks going to come up to me trying to get into heaven? Who are you? But Jesus said this. This is one of the reasons why they said, he don't talk like the scribes. This is one who speaks with authority. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now let's look at the warning itself. Some are speaking with, with, with their speech. They sound good. They sound right. They're saying a given uh, uh, um, um, respect to. But he says, I'm not just listening to what they say. There's a contrast in the first statement and the second statement. Not everyone who says to me, underline or circle that word says. Not everyone who says the right thing, says Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. There's this distinction between saying and doing. It's the same distinction that he brought out in the hypocrites who say the right things but do something totally different. It's the same thing in the, in the false prophets who dress up like sheep but act like wolves. He says, it's not the what they say, but what they do that will distinguish, distinguish them. In other words, there's not a match between the two. They can say right things, but their actions don't go along with what it is their words are saying. Sometimes we just need to turn the words off. You ever do that? <laughs> I've often done that, especially when I'm watching sports on TV. I, I turn, the, the <laughs> turn the sound down. I'm, I'm doing like the old school, y'all know. We don't actually turn sound down like that anymore. We, we do it like this. <laughs> I actually mute it, turn it down, and just watch so I can evaluate for myself. Jesus is saying, be careful what you hear people boast about because he's not listening he's not impressed with our mere words I'm not impressed when people come forward in church after a powerful message and want to show some response it's not that they shouldn't it means that alone is not impressive Especially when I've seen so many do that, and the very next day, the very next week, they're not here. I started a new membership class, and already one is not there with us because he's opted out. He's opted for a new lifestyle. He's opted to go a different way. I'm not talking about just go to a different church. No, I'm not talking about that to turn away from the truth oh so soon, so quickly. I'm not impressed. Like Jesus wasn't impressed by what people say. So if you think you can say good things to me, realize it's going in one ear and out the other. I'm looking. 
In other words, my ears are often closed and my eyes are wide open. That's what Jesus is saying. Be careful the ones who are always yapping. Talk, 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 talk. What are you doing is what Jesus is saying. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went into the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm not impressed. It's not the resume that I'm looking at. I'm looking at their action on a job. Resumes don't mean a thing. Anybody can type one. He says, on that day, will many will say to me, again, say, Lord, Lord. <laughs> it gets to the point whenever someone calls me a name with respect, I go, oh, boy. For two reasons. One is I have to guard myself that I don't begin to listen to the press. You know what I mean. And I'm reminding myself that that respect in words is not always a respect in action. I have a person who left this church who would not listen or follow the direction that I gave and still to this day wants to call me pastor. Like, really? Really? Why don't you just call me Brian? Because you never respected the pastor part at all. Not that I'm tripping over it. I know who I am. It's you. You got a problem. You don't want to do it. Then don't show the mouth. Don't give me mouth respect. Jesus saying on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Kind of reminds you of chapter 5 when he talks about the prayers. Oh, they, they, they can really, really pray. young man came to me yesterday after the chapel, and he says, I want to pray for you. I'm like, what? We have invitations so we can pray for your needs. And it's not that you don't need to pray for me, but it just kind of caught me off guard. And after he prayed, I said to myself, what in the world did he just say? <laughs> I, I don't know. And you know what the funny part is? I think God said the same thing. What in the world did he just say? <laughs> Jesus says, many going to come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord, Lordy, 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 Lordy. And God looking at it like, what, what is you calling me? I don't know you. That's exactly what Jesus said. I don't know you. In fact, he said it even stronger. I never knew you. I don't know you now. I didn't know you then. You ain't got nothing to do with me. That's what he's saying. Me and you, we ain't like that. We ain't connected. All the words you said, all the flowery speech that you gave, all of the melodic voice that you have, it don't, it, uh-uh. He says, I never knew. And not only that, he said, get out of here. Depart from me. That's what it means. Get out of here. He, he wasn't even nice, but I don't even, man, get out of here. And guess where he is? He's standing in heaven. He's saying, you trying to come up here with that? 
You don't, you don't think I know? You don't think I see through your heart, see through your words? Get out of here, he said. Now, Jesus is saying this as a warning so people might learn from this. Then he says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What that shows is that Jesus knew exactly, he knows exactly what they are. That's why I say, you don't need a resume to come to Jesus. He ain't going to read it. He throws the resume out and says, hey, come here. Run the tape. Let's show you what your real life looks like without the makeup, without the fancy clothes, without the fancy speech, without the resume. Now let's talk. Who are you really? Then Jesus ends this in this last section. Strong, strong rebuke and strong language. Everyone who hears these words of mine, he says in verse 24, and does them. So he's going to contrast two people. The ones who hear and do, and the ones who hear and don't do. The first group, he says they're like wise people. And the second group, he says they're like fools. Strong language, isn't it? He says the ones who hear and actually follow are like wise who build their house. Both groups are building a house. The first group is building it on a good foundation. The second group is building it on a flimsy foundation. Then the test comes. It comes to both groups. It says the rain falls, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. It happened to each house. The rains, the floods, and the wind. In, in other words, extreme testing. This is life. This is the experience of life. Life will prove. That's why it's, 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 it's very hard sometimes for me to do a funeral because... People want to hear one thing, but I don't see that. And they don't want to hear straightforward what I really see. And what I want to show them is what God sees so that they can be warned. Stop trying to have this person be, be made to be impressed and look genuinely at your own life. So Jesus says, the wise has built a house, the storms have come and they've tested it, and it says, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The other group, it says in verse 27, the rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Why is the fall great? It's because they have spent their whole life building a beautiful edifice on a poor foundation. 
And no matter how mighty and beautiful that structure looks, if it's on a poor foundation, it's going to fall. Jesus spoke as one with authority. He is saying he himself is the foundation. Build your life upon him and don't take any wooden nickels. He said, don't be fooled by all the garbage that's coming at you that looks good, but it's not based on Jesus. Build your house on him. The warning is for those who hear his word. He says, not just hearing my word is impressive, it's the doing of it. Again, James echoes that, be, you, be ye hearers, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. All of us today have heard the word. How many of us will put it into practice in our own lives? It starts with trusting Christ, being genuine in relationship with him. Father, we pray you would challenge our hearts not to just be respectful of your word, but to be followers of your word. And Lord, where our heart is condemned, where we have not done this in the past, may we just humbly come before you asking, seeking, knocking, confessing our failure to you, confessing our sin to you. May we wholeheartedly turn to you the secret to life is laying you as our foundation and building on you. May we exercise that. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. Thank you, Father, for being so clear in the message of your Son to warn us, to challenge us, to encourage us to build on Christ, to obey Christ. May we follow that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.